This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for coming back, or thank you for coming here the first time. If this is your maiden voyage on the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers Network, I'm Dan McNeil. It is my privilege and pleasure to serve, especially when there is an overwhelming taste of fall in the air. My God, right into November it feels this week. I don't know, maybe because we've been having hot, humid summers, but this weather just feels so cold so fast and you know what I was ready for it and I love it because every day in this country not only are there birthdays being celebrated Bob Brenly there are football games being played and we have week four commencing this evening if you have dolphins if you have Bengals on your fantasy team make sure you get your lineups in At Bet Rivers, the Bengals are three-and-a-half-point favorites. That number is subject to swing radically based on the availability of some key players who are still uncertain as the time we're recording this. The total in the game is 47-and-a-half. Those of you who play fantasy football, I can't help but wonder how many of you are answering one, at at least one, of the following questions. You're asking yourself things like this through three weeks. Why did I pick the best player in NFL history to quarterback my football team? Tom Brady has yet to show up. It's early. Number two, why didn't I pull the trigger on Saquon Barkley? I took Debo Samuel instead of Saquon Barkley. Maybe it'll wind up working out, but Barkley looks awesome, doesn't he? Man, that touchdown run he ripped off against the Cowboys on Monday night was reminiscent of the early Barkley we saw and fell in love with. He is going to have a big day against the Bears, who probably are going to run the ball all day as well. More on that a little bit later on. I'm giving you a respite from the typical Chicago sports yak that I've been consuming this week. Woo! Good to have you getting away from that and spending some time with me. Number three, is Justin Jefferson hurt? This guy is an amazing wide receiver. He had an incredible start to the 2022 season on opening day against the Packers. He had 150 yards or something like that in the first half, wound up with almost a deuce and two on the day, and he hasn't done anything since. I think he has 64 yards in receptions, no TDs since opening day. Number three, and this is for me. Why do I keep Amari Cooper on my bench every week? I lost faith in Amari Cooper too early. He had an off year before the Raiders let him him go, and, and then he started a comeback last year, and I didn't pay attention to it. 
I, 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 I was asleep at the switch, second straight week. Michael Pittman, not happening just yet. I, I think it's time to go with Amari Cooper. And lastly, fantasy football players, what in the hell is Josh McDaniels doing in Sin City? I was so pumped to see what this guy was going to do with a team I believe is very talented on offense. However, I was I was iffy on running back Josh Jacobs, and so far, I'm looking to be pretty prophetic on that. He's been extremely pedestrian thus far. Derek Carr hasn't been very good, and Devontae Adams has had one good day out of three. Adams, who I thought was the best receiver in the league last year, has one touchdown and a little bit fewer than 200 yards through three weeks. But it's early, and who knows what's going to happen when the ball goes in the air as we get set for week four. I want to do something a little bit different with you today. And anything's different if you haven't been here in past weeks, but I've been doing on Mondays probably 20 minutes on what the Bears did the previous day. And then I hit every game that happened in the NFL on Sunday and a quick preview of the Monday Nighter. Often there is a media notebook, uh, critics at extra large from the old Mac Yurko and Harry days, as Adam Delavitt from Bet Rivers likes to remind me, very popular segment where we talk about the dopey things people who make millions of dollars broadcasting sports say. I want to start you with a conversation about perfection and the pursuit of it. And the reason is the Dolphins playing tonight on Thursday night football are in the 50th year anniversary. They're in their 50th celebration of their perfect team of 1972, a team that made a huge impression on me as an 11-year-old. And I remember some things very vividly. I, I remember a television special, and I, I, I did some searching today, and I couldn't find a record of this from the 70s other than a few photos, but nothing on the Miami Dolphins as they were filmed on location, and I thought that was the name of the ABC show, on location with the Miami Dolphins. It was either right before the perfect season of 72 or right after. But it was for the first time. It really was the first version of Hard Knocks. It was just one episode, but it was training camp. It was an insider's look at what happens in an NFL training camp. And boy, did my eyes get wide. My first love was baseball. As a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, I loved the Cubs. I liked the White Sox. I remember World Series played a couple years before my first Super Bowl memory, which is Namath and the Jets upsetting the Colts. Bet Rivers was was here, of course, and they had the Colts at minus 18 and a half, like many other books. Boy, that was the first bet I lost. I was nine. The 72 Dolphins showed me for the first time a, a real vivid look at what teamwork means. They showed me players beating the crap out of each other on the practice field and then walking off the field with smiles, working harmoniously. They showed me 
something I had never experienced in my life. They showed me black men and white men working together. I grew up in Highland, Indiana, which at the time was about 30,000 residents. The first black guy I remember meeting was a guy named Roy Somerville. He often walked up and down my street, O'Day Drive, on the south side of Highland. And me and some of my buddies often would follow Roy and visit with him. He was a very nice guy. And the reason he wasn't bothered by Highland police was because he was wearing a U.S. mail uniform. He was our mailman. I learned years later, if you were black and you walked the streets of my hometown in the 60s and 70s, you probably drew police attention. I was aware of lily white faces in every direction in the schools I, I attended. My high school graduating class was about 570 kids, not one of them black. I didn't learn diversity. The 72 Dolphins showed me that for the first time. There were individuals on the unbeaten Dolphins who were so worthy of admiration and putting guys up to say, you know, look at the standard he has set. Nick Bonacani, and I always gravitated to defensive players. I, I don't know why. I was better as an offensive player, as a high school kid, but I always loved defense. Bonacani, who died in 2019, um, officially from pneumonia, but he had been suffering a lot of the horrible symptoms of CTE from his 50s on, and he spoke out against football, but he said, biggest mistake I ever made was as a nine-year-old putting the gear on for the first time. Nick Bonacani was the leader of the so-called no-name defense. And I don't know why they were called the no-name defense, because if you watched NFL, and I'm freaking 11 in 1972, you knew who Nick Bonacani was. He was the guy wearing 85, not a traditional number for linebackers in that era. And he was the guy making all the tackles, and he had a cool name. He was Nick Bonacani. And for years, he did a nice job on HBO's Inside the NFL. Never met Nick. Would have liked to have had that chance. I liked grunts, too. Later on in life, when I would become acquaintances and in some cases friends with some members of the most important team in NFL history, the 85 Bears, my friends, I, it seemed to gravitate to offensive and defensive linemen. I, I don't know. Maybe they got a kick out of little Barney Rubble. I, I don't know what it was. But I struck up friendships with those guys, played golf with many of them, still friends with Tom Thayer, Jay Hilgenberg, Jimbo Covert, who's doing my terrestrial show at Bridges Scoreboard Restaurant and Sports Bar tomorrow, Friday, the 30th of September, noon to 2, WJOB AM 1230, available on the TuneIn app anywhere in the world. They had a couple of guards on that team the Dolphins, who I loved watching play. Larry Little was one of them. Big brother, played 11 years in the league, five times a first-team All-Pro, five times a Pro Bowler, three times voted AFC Offensive Lineman of the Year. And his, his contemporaries were guys on the Steelers, okay? He had Mike Webster also in the AFC. Bob Kuchenberg was a local guy. Man, I, I found out he, he's from Hobart. He was born in Gary, and he went to Hobart High School. He was a brickie 
who went to Notre Dame. And this was before I realized that Notre Dame didn't really want to be an Indiana school. They got all of their recruits from Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida, California, Ohio, football hotbeds. They thumb their nose at the best players in Indiana, but not Bob Kuchenberg. Cooch, as he was called. Number 67 in Dolphins colors. He made their ring of honor. Just missed the NFL Hall of Fame. There was a defensive lineman who was a victim of perhaps the greatest robbery, the greatest injustice ever done to a player when it comes to an individual award in a championship, an individual game or a championship series. Manny Fernandez should have been named Super Bowl Seven most valuable player. Many said at that time it was the most dominant game ever played by a defensive lineman in the history of the NFL. Now, years later, we would see guys like Reggie White and in today's game, Aaron Donald. I, I'm going to guess because of how guys are bigger, faster, and stronger. You take 1972 Manny Fernandez, his skills, his measurables, all of the intangibles, he doesn't make an NFL roster. Uh, defensive linemen were so much smaller in that era. But in his era, he was a dominant player. He played in three straight Super Bowls, went two and one. He had a sack in all of them. But in Super Bowl seven against the Washington Redskins at the time, 14 to seven, the only touchdown the Redskins scored that day was on a special teams fluke. You have seen this highlight a million times in your life the Garo Yapremian botched field goal where he, he, they ruled it a fumble. It, it initially was thought to be an interception, but Mike Bass of Washington took it to the end zone. That was the only score Billy Kilmer's impotent Washington offense could muster up against the so-called no-name defense that day. And Fernandez was all over the field. He was credited with 17 tackles. That that counts piles on which he jumped. That counts all of his assists. There's no way a defensive tackle makes 17 solos in a pro game. Not then, not now, not any time in between, never. He didn't do that. But in that era, when the Super Bowl was just an embryo compared to what it became in the 80s, and is continuing to grow globally. The Super Bowl had not attained the level of bigness it enjoys by, by a long shot. And only one man had a vote for the game's MVP award. That was Dick Schapp, a guy who I met when I was in my early 20s and admired very much. I liked his work both in print and on television. But Chap admitted several years later, and he voted Jake Scott, the Dolphins' safety, who had two interceptions in the game, one of just two safeties to ever win Super Bowl MVP. He voted Scott the MVP, and years later admitted he was extremely hungover and didn't really watch the game. Well, what did that do to Manny Fernandez's life? It changed it forever, because what Shap or anybody else couldn't have seen coming in 1972, 1973, that era, or even a decade later, was the earning potential a Super Bowl MVP enjoyed, especially one who was as gregarious 
as Manny Fernandez. And he was Hispanic. Give me your Mount Rushmore of great Hispanic NFL players in the 70s. Go. Ron Rivera is my age. He was watching the game, too, on television, on the Philco in Northern California. What he meant to that community, what he meant to Miami was a ton. And he could have enjoyed $25,000 speaking engagements, a crack for the rest of his life. But they, they have since taken a split of verb there, $10. I got to decide whether kangaroo court fines are $5 or $10. And at the end of the year, I'll buy you uh, all a Paps Blue Ribbon or something. I don't know. He was, he was colorful, was, was Fernandez. I really loved watching him play. Here's a cool Miami Dolphin of the perfect Dolphins. Vern Den Herder, number 83. A pass rusher from a little tiny school in, in Iowa called Central. After his NFL career, he went back to his hometown in Jerkwater, Iowa, to work at a cattle feed processing company. Vern Den Herder. That's a great NFL film's name, isn't it? John Facenda. But the Dolphins thwarted the Redskins largely by the play of Vern Den Herder. All right. It, it works if you know who John Facenda was. Larry Zonka is another guy uh, who was easy to admire for me. He was a guy who had fullback size, fullback toughness, and running back production. He was an amazing football player. It happened to me it happened to be my good luck to be in Miami in the fall of 02. It was a Bears Dolphins Monday night game when they retired Zonka's jersey number 39 and I was so happy to be there for it because as a kid, man, I loved Larry Zonka. The, he was a middle linebacker as a freshman at Syracuse. He was a tough son of a bitch. And at 6'3", he gave tacklers a huge target, but played with such a low pad level and with such lower body strength, he would dip the shoulders while square and drive into the opposing tackler and with his with his leg strength just keep the legs pumping and just drive piles back into the secondary. And if you were in the secondary and he got out in the open field, now they call it space, in the open field, P-Poppage, Adam, sorry about that, he would just as soon go out of his way to run you over than try to get to the pylon untouched. Larry Zonka also is an avid fisherman and uh, had a had a fishing TV show. And I once used that fishing TV show to as a guise to get him on the radio to interview him. I, 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 of course, wanted to talk as an outdoorsman about Zonka's fishing show and about his career. But we ambushed Larry Zonka. And I'll get to the reason for it in just a little bit. But I think it is appropriate to acknowledge perfection. The 72 Dolphins, an easy team for those not in Southern Florida to hold up as the bandwagon team when they're kids. When your team sucks, it's okay when you're 13, 10, whatever age you are before you're a man. To jump on a bandwagon. Mine was the Steelers of the 70s. 
I admired the Dolphins individually and as a group. They worked their asses off. They were good on both sides of the ball. Bob Greasy's maybe the most overrated Hall of Famer this side of Joe Namath. I mean, the numbers are terrible on both. And Greasy's playoff numbers during the Dolphins' dynasty, so-called dynasty, were extremely pedestrian. Look at Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers a couple years ago when he was with the 49ers. I don't want to say led the 49ers. He went with the 49ers when they went to the Super Bowl. That's what Greasy's numbers were. Eight out of 11 for 114 yards. And this guy's in the Hall of Fame, but he was a fine field general. That meant he got the snap from the center and didn't fumble it. He put it into the into the belly of Zonka, of Jim Kick, number 21, and of Mercury Morris, who also is an avid fisherman. I have seen him on Zonka's TV show. I've seen them fish salmon in Alaska together. It was damn cool. My guys, the 72 Dolphins. And they're throwing all kinds of parties for the Dolphins in Southern Florida this year. Why wouldn't you? At every Miami home game this season, a member of the Perfect Dolphins will be an honorary captain. They're trying to try to get it done by positional group before the year concludes to have every positional grouping represented based on guys' availability. You got guys now in their 70s and 80s on that 72 Dolphins team. Uh, Pepsi has jumped on board as, as a title sponsor. Love Pepsi. Always been a big fan of Pepsi. Why not resurrect the jingle, the Pepsi jingle from 1972? I think it went something like this. Get the taste that beats the others cold. Pepsi turns it on. I'm not sure the exact year, but, uh, man, what you got it. Of course, you're going to celebrate this. The museum exhibit at Hard Rock Stadium will highlight the 72 Dolphins merchandise and memorabilia. And they're calling one exhibit artifacts. I can't help but wonder if that includes Mercury Morris's Coke straw as a 72 Dolphins artifact. Morris uh, Morris was given a 20 year sentence after his playing career for cocaine trafficking. He wound up getting sprung after about three or four, uh, striking a plea agreement. And here's something for all of you nostalgia fans who love Miami and the Dolphins. There's a cruise coming up with Royal Caribbean Cruise Line slated for March 12th through March 19th. Seven nights in the Caribbean, stopping in Coco Cay, uh, another tribute to Mercury Morris, Cozumel, uh, several, you know, very, very cool spots, seven days on the water and on cool islands with members of the dolphins. Boy, I hope if there is a plan to turn this in to the Vikings love boat in zero five, I hope they pack plenty of Viagra for the guys. Only four Vikings were charged in, uh, in the love boat scandal. Yeah, you forget the Love Boat scandal. Dante Culpepper is one of the players. There are a ton of players on that cruise. They flew in hookers. They filmed video of guys doing hookers for sponsors. There was all kinds of group sex video. It was amazing. Cost Mike Tice, the head coach of the Vikings, his job. And here's a fun fact for you about Mike Tice, the, the pencil guy, the pencil in the year, former Bears offensive coordinator. When he was with the Bears, they were training at Olivet Nazarene University in, in Bourbon, eh? and, and they're no longer doing that. The NFL finally got smart. Let guys sleep in a reasonable bed. Let's stay at home and train 
rather than treat this like it's a prehistoric era the way they did in the 60s when the Bears used to go to St. Joe's College in Rensselaer. But uh, I, I lost my train of thought. I, I apologize. I do that every now and again. Um, you, you'll bear with me in that instance. But the love boat, uh, Mike Tice, that's where I was going. Mike Tice, his biggest complaint in his tenure with the Bears was that at Olivet Nazarene, you couldn't watch porn in the dorms. It was a Christian university. You couldn't, they, they, they didn't allow, you couldn't have access. So poor Mike Tice is stuck there in training camp for three weeks and he's got to slum it with a magazine. Okay. On the opposite end of perfection and the pursuit thereof, I want to talk about the diametrical opposition and classlessness in sports. And when I say classlessness in sports, what comes to mind to you? What what are some of the most classless acts you have witnessed? What is the perfection of classlessness to you? So many different ways to go on this. And let's start with football. It's a violent game played by violent men. Most recently, we watched Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns swing the helmet of Mason Rudolph at the Steelers quarterback. That was two years ago. Do you remember Albert Hainsworth, the defensive lineman, ripping off an opponent's helmet while the cat was lying on the ground and then stomping on his head? I think he got a five-game suspension for that. In the Wayback Machine, I remember the bad boy Raiders, silver and black, uh, pride and poise, commitment to excellence. They acted like trash a lot of the times. Some of those guys who, a little bit after the 70s Raiders, Matt Millen's group, I got to know Matt a little bit, class guy. But some of the guys who played on those earlier Raiders teams were garbage, including Jack Tatum, the safety, who in a game against the Patriots in 78 paralyzed Patriots wide receiver Daryl Stingley. Stingley never walked again. Tatum later wrote a book titled They Call Me Assassin, in which he boasted about paralyzing Stingley. And Stingley died in 07 to his dying day. Tatum never apologized to him. Never found the humanity to pick up the phone and say, hey, man, this sucks. I'm sorry. Remember Bill Romanowski? Uh, how many players did he spit on? Uh, spitting is uh, is a good one. Uh, you can get outside of football. For that, Charles Barkley once spat on a young girl. Roberto Alomar spat on umpire John Hirschbeck. How about biting offenders? Mike Tyson biting the ear of Evander Holyfield. Tree Rollins biting Danny Ainge. Geez, if I had the opportunity to bite Danny Ainge, I might too. What a little weasel he is. Asswipe. I met him once. Came close to swinging at him. Dennis Rodman kicking a cameraman in the balls. That's not a very nice act. That's, that's not sportsmanship. That's not on the path to perfection. Bulls fans, you got good representation on a list I looked at earlier in the week. Jordan and Pippen both make the list. Jordan for punching Steve Kerr in practice and Pippen for point eight. 
refusing to play because Tony Kukoc was going to get the last shot. Where do we start if we're going to talk about classlessness in hockey? You want to start with Dale Hunter? Slamming Pierre Turgeon into the boards well after the goal had uh, the goal light came on. And that's reminiscent of Slapshot. That's Tim Dr. Hook McCracken giving Ned Braden the boards after Braden had given the Charlestown Chiefs a one and nothing lead. How about Marty McSorley? Multiple offenses, most egregious, clanking Donald Brashear over the head with his stick. And then there's Cementhead Ty Domi. The well-traveled Ty Domi fighting a fan while he was in the penalty box. Baseball is not going to go unscathed here either. Because something as an adult that made me get up out of my chair and I had no horse in the race was in the Subway Series, Yankees and Mets, 22 years ago, when Roger Clemens threw the splintered bat in the direction of Mets catcher Mike Piazza. Piazza didn't do anything. I I don't know if he was stunned by the grotesque nature of the act. That's a splintered barrel of a baseball bat. It wasn't the handle end. It was the heavier end. You have no idea of calculating how that thing is going to bounce after it hits the, 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 the field. That thing easily could have could have impaled the shin or calf. Uh, Piazza's balls would have been covered. He's a catcher. He's wearing a cup. Most players, other than pitchers, wear cups. But uh, although a lot of them now have gone to compression shorts, but be that as it may, uh, Clemens should have had his ass kicked. Why the Mets didn't come out of the dugout and beat the living shit out of that asshole, I have no clue. No idea why the New York Mets didn't react. But that was that was one of the least gentlemanly things I've ever seen on an athletic field. Let's not let's not conclude the discussion of bad sportsmanship. And the opposite of champion perfection behavior by mentioning obscene gestures. The crotch grab. The moon glance. Probably most famously Randy Moss because it was a it was a Fox game when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were still on Fox and Joe Buck was appalled by the butt cheeks of Randy Moss. And then there's the middle finger. A lot of those have been flown. Didn't Ditka go to the double move in the cult classic picture of him giving the bird to, I think, the cameraman? Wasn't he also clutching little Ditka simultaneously? I thought he was. I actually got Mike to autograph that picture for me in his final year as the Bears head coach. He signed it to Dan Who You Crappin, which he had said to my partner a few weeks prior. And it became a famous bit on the score for 20 years. Tootie Cicero in Goodfellas, all time. He's the gold standard of cratch grabs. Right here, Junior. Give it up for Tootie Cicero. All of those acts were impulses to stimuli that produced an unacceptable behavior. Pippen, not knowing Phil Jackson wasn't going to let him take the last shot was a childish reaction to Tony Kukoc getting that chance. Hockey things, the, the, the swinging of a stick in anger, it, it, it's an 
impulse and, and what comes over a guy that causes him to cross that line. I don't quite understand. You know, I, I, I tried boxing once as a teenager, and that's the only time I ever really thought it would be fun to hurt somebody because that's the objective of the game is to knock the guy unconscious, which is why I have no use for boxing as an adult with everything we've learned about CTE. Uh, there have been some really crazy things people do in the heat of the moment. You know what wasn't in the heat of the moment? The way members of the 1972 Miami Dolphins celebrated after successful teams lost for the first time great or deep into the season. The 98 Broncos won their first 13 before the Giants caught them 20-16 to 16 in New York, second Sunday in December, 1998. Terrell Davis and the Broncos. That's when we first saw images of toasting dolphins. The champagne corks have been popped. The perfect dolphins of 72 shall remain immortals. They have no rival. The Broncos lost. The 05 Colts also got to 13 and 0. The Packers a few years ago got to 13 and 0. Only one team has run the table in the 16-game era, and that's the 07 Patriots, 16-0, and then came up short against the Giants in Super Bowl 42. So we, we don't regard that regular season as one of the greats because they didn't finish what they started. What, he, what did Billy Bean tell us in Moneyball? If you don't win the last game of the year, nobody gives a shit. I guess that would be the 07 Patriots. And especially in Boston, where you're conditioned to seeing your team win championships. Not only in football. Boy, poor Boston fans. What are they going to do about the Red Sox being among the worst in the AL East next year? That's not fun for them. But the Dolphins had time. Like 26 years to grow up and quit being an adolescent, testosterone-laden steroid-taken asswipe. Those were grown-ass men, some of them with grandchildren, some of them crossing that tipping point of going from sports through the eyes of a child or a young competitor capable of losing his temper, capable of making a bad decision in the heat of battle, This is 25 freaking years after the pads have been hung up. And you had guys toasting, and it was on camera. Don Shula denied it vehemently late in his life. He would have none of the conversation about the 72 Dolphins being poor sports. If somebody ever goes clean for the year, Shula contended regularly, we go shake their hands and say congratulations for beating us and making history. You deserve everything you're about to get for the rest of your lives because you deserve that kind of recognition. We have an idea what it takes to go 17 and 0. You guys, you guys did even better than that. You did it in a 16 or 17 game schedule. That's what Shula always contended was going to be his mantra. And there were other Dolphins players who spoke out against being bad sports, celebrating the failures of another team as well. Uh, the wide receiver, our tight end, Howard Twilley, said, if you're going to pop a champagne cork, do it in the closet. That's good advice. You, you, you remain the only team 
you don't celebrate that publicly. Does that make you a phony? No, it means you're, you're, you're continuing to win with class and integrity. That's important to a lot of us. It was important to my high school football coach. If you acted like an ass, you, you didn't play. We, we were kicking the snot out of our so-called arch rival, even though they weren't. They were the hammer. We were the nail in the series, Highland Munster. And we're kicking the crap out of them, 22 to nothing. Uh, one of the most lopsided wins in my school's history against so-called rival Munster. And we're driving down the field. We're telling the Munster players where we're running, and they still couldn't stop us. I wanted to call timeout and get it in one more time. I knew Coach Shelburne would have benched me the next week. I wouldn't have played. I wouldn't have played. And that's how it should be enforced. And guys on perfect teams should not be celebrating when other soon-to-be maybe perfect teams fall on their asses. That's asinine. And they can deny it all they want to. I know what I saw in 98 when the Broncos lost to the Giants in week 14 or 15. I know what I saw. I saw Dolphins happy that Mike Shanahan's Broncos came short. And to me, as a grown man, that's worse than a lot of the other stuff I mentioned, isn't it? And you can understand some of it. Not condone it, but understand it. And in 98, my partner on the score, our original afternoon team, McNeil and Boers, Terry Boers, wanted to get Larry Zonka on to discuss that event with him. And I said, all right, I got the perfect perfect entry ramp to this. We'll tell Dolphins Public Relations we want to talk to Zonka about his new fishing show and his marvelous career. I happen to be an admirer of his when I was a kid. Not not long. I wasn't lying to anybody. I did want to talk to him about his outdoor show. We did talk with him about freshwater and saltwater fishing. We did talk with him about an era when fullbacks posted running back numbers, halfback numbers. And then we ambushed him, and Terry went after him for the 72 Dolphins. And both parties were relentless in their criticisms of the other. I did the best job I could to keep Zonka on the phone with us because it was incredibly compelling radio. I'd never been in the mix of something like that. Zonka threatened to hang up at least twice before he finally did. And Zonk... Stay with us, man. Don't don't listen. This clown I'm sitting next to never earned a varsity letter. What does he know about your game? And instead of of getting him calmer and in a better place, it exacerbated the situation. He went harder at Terry. Yeah, you never played the game. You know, you were probably, you know, shaking pom-poms. He went all macho and bad, and it was ugly. And what came out of Terry's mouth before the conversation finally concluded, if he called Zonka today, what he called him in 98 or 99, when we did that interview, would have had him canceled for life. I, as the co-pilot sitting next to him for not hitting the dump button on the comment, probably would be fired today as well. So would the two producers on the other side of the glass. We all would have been fired. Zonka had done a commercial, I think for some cruise line. And in the commercial, he was wearing a hula skirt 
and he had a lay around his neck. He was in Hawaiian. I was probably a Hawaiian. I don't know what it was. But in it, he was in a conga line, and he was dancing. And at the conclusion of 12 or 13 very heated minutes of Can't Get Out of Your Car Radio, Boars said to Zonka, get off my phone, you conga line dancing fill in the blank. It's a word that hasn't been cool in this country for the last 15 or 20 years. It's a word I don't use any longer, even though when I did use it, I never used it in the sense that is uber offensive. It meant something else, but not in this case. And that's what Terry called Larry Zonka. You conga line dancing. Larry Zonka was one of my favorite players when I was an impressionable kid. But for Zonka and all of those perfect Dolphins to be such poor winners, years after the fact, when perspective has set in, I read a long time ago, the the, the male brain isn't completely formed until you're 25. Female brain forms considerably earlier, at least three or four years earlier. The female brain, I'm pretty sure those are the stats. It's been a while since I took biology and anatomy, and I was no good at it. But I do remember that being, there being disparity there. And if you're a drug user, the brain takes even longer to mature if you consume a lot of alcohol, if you take a lot of mind-altering substances, it will take your brain even longer. And apparently some of those 72 dolphins never got that out of their systems because that that behavior is unacceptable. And I don't want to paint the whole bunch as all those dolphins because it's not. It's not. There are guys who have spoken out against that type of, of activity, and I'm glad there are because people should still be desirous of standing up for good sportsmanship, right? It's just a game at the end of the day. Of course, it's for big money. Of course, it's for pride. Of course, it's the ultimate in team sports, pro football, NHL. That's, you know, baseball, more of an individual thing, just like basketball is those two sports, baseball and hockey. You accomplish something with a room full of guys over the course of six, eight months. Those should be friendships forged for life. I get it. But act like you've been there and don't be too goddamn ignorant and shallow to not be willing to shake the hand of somebody who was able to do what you weren't. All right, quickly, Sunday, the Bears, the Bears, are three and a half point underdogs against the Giants, two and one versus two and one. Everybody wants more of a measuring stick on Bears quarterback Justin Fields, and of course you do. He hasn't thrown. They're putting up prehistoric passing numbers this year in terms of uh, how many attempts per game. It's embarrassingly bad, and it's been hard to to know what the coaching staff is doing. I understand what they're doing. They're sticking to their strength. That's how you keep your job in the NFL is post wins. Yes, you have to develop your quarterback, but not at the expense of losing a football game. When you're mauling the crap out of the opponent, you keep mauling him. It would have been absolutely stupid 
if Luke Getze would have gone away from that last week. The Texans are one of the worst tackling teams in football. In fact, they came into that game with the most missed tackles of any defense of the 32 in the league. I don't expect they got any better because there were hitting spins all day by Khalil Herbert. There were little guys, even though there were three Bears receivers who had all of two catches, guys who caught passes and broke tackles. Yeah, you look at the Bears uh, receivers numbers, it looks like reading your favorite baseball team's box score. Oh, he had two hits last night. He had two hits, and he had two hits. We had three guys with two hits. The Bears had three receivers with two catches last week. That's how bad it is. But when that running game is working, you run it until they prove they can effing stop it. The Texans didn't do it. The Giants likely won't do it. That's why you're going to see a lot of running again Sunday. And that's exactly what the Giants should do. Damian Pierce didn't, you know, knock your socks off last week, but he averaged four yards a carry. And coming into the game, the Bears were allowing five yards per carry in the first two games. That was the most in the NFL. That was the highest rushing yards per carry allowed in the league. They're still bottom feeders. You're going to see so much of Saquon Barkley. If you like to play play player props, I say that five times real fast. Go to Bet Rivers and check out these running back props. I think Barkley's going to have a monster day. The dude looks outstanding again. That 31-yard jaunt against the Cowboys Monday night was artful. Man, that dude is fun to watch. Great lower body strength. I love Saquon Barkley. Don't know what he means to the Giants long-term. Don't expect them to be very good come December. They're 2-1 and one now. But Daniel Jones is not very good. And Justin Fields is not very good. A lot of running backs. I like the over. It's 39 and a half right now. I think you're going to see the running version of what the Chiefs and Rams did four seasons ago. Remember 54 to 51? Oh, the great Sean McVay. Look what he's doing. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. Nintendo football all day via the air. The running backs never got their uniforms dirty. This is the opposite. This is a shitload of points Sunday, and it ain't through the air. I'm going over 39 and a half Chicago and the Giants Sunday. Have a great fourth weekend. Good luck to your fantasy teams. Have some fun this weekend. Do a parlay. Yeah, do just a little, little patient show parlay bet there because it pays better odds. I'm Danny Mac. Thanks to Sam Michael for producing the show, and thanks to Adam Delavitt and everybody at Bet Rivers for giving me a chance. Back on Monday early morning. Have a great weekend. I'm Tail Lights.